From API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. I'm your host, John Bisney. My guests today are API Chief Economist John Felmy and two of API Senior Policy Analysts, Matt Cook and Chris Joyner, and we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about the major energy legislation that's now pending in Congress. Both the House and Senate are in recess for this month of August, but lawmakers will be back in September. They'll be taking action on these measures then. Um, Both chambers have approved some pretty wide-ranging energy bills, although they're quite different. The biggest example of that, Chris Joyner, is the House approved more than $15 billion in taxes on the oil and gas industry. Uh, For now, though, no tax bill from the Senate. Tell us about what's in the House measure. Well, John, as you mentioned, the House bill uh, includes about $15.5 billion in tax increases on the oil and natural gas industry. Um, that that uh, revenue really comes from two sources. It comes from singling out the oil and natural gas industry for repeal of a uh, provision intended several years ago when first authored uh, to uh, provide an incentive to manufacturers in the United States, in effect a provision to help spur employment uh, in the manufacturing sector. Uh, that raises about uh, $7.5 billion. The other one, uh, the other two provisions really that make it up are uh, changes in the way the industry's overseas earnings are calculated uh, for tax purposes. And that could really change the playing field that the industry operates uh, on overseas. Yeah, John Felmy, our chief economist, what do you think would be the impact of these tax proposals in the House bill? Well, unfortunately, the uh, provisions will likely be a repeat of the mistakes of the past. The first provision that Chris mentioned uh, was designed to increase jobs, to stimulate growth and refining capacity in the United States, and uh, taking that provision away will simply penalize the industry and do the exact opposite of what the Congress has intended. The second provision really is the equivalent of double taxation and could end up costing the industry in terms of being able to compete on a world scale with the major national oil companies. We'd like to clarify just one thing about the first tax provision. The, the, as they call it, it's the Section 199 credit, manufacturer's credit. In the original House bill, uh, the revenue raise was about $7.5 billion. Over the last six months, though, uh, the Congressional Budget Office has actually revisited that number, and actually the number is much closer to $10.5, 11000000000 billion now. John, I thought it was interesting, you know, uh, Chris mentioned that this one provision would single out our industry from uh, uh, something that was intended to be an incentive to all of U.S. manufacturing. I mean, what's, what's that all about? Well, unfortunately, it appears that it's petty politics in Washington that has uh, resulted in this. Uh, The Congress wisely, a few years ago, enacted these provisions to try to stimulate job creation, to try to uh, stimulate growth and capacity of manufacturing of all types, including the the oil and natural gas industry. They have just simply singled out the oil and gas industry for punitive penalties uh, that will raise our costs of operation lower potential energy supplies and not help consumers. All right, that's the House bill, has taxes in it. Let's talk about the Senate bill, which has some different things. Uh, Matt Cook, you've been following very closely the issue of increasing the requirements for using what are called renewable fuels. Uh, Talk about what the Senate bill would require and and where we would see these fuel requirements be applied in in the United States. Uh, The Senate bill more than doubles the amount of uh, corn-based ethanol that was required for us to be using in, in the, that was in the 2005 Energy Policy Act. 
And then it also adds an additional new mandate for using cellulosic ethanol. Um, most of this fuel has to be used in the uh, motor fuel pool, primarily in the gasoline market, but uh, in addition, there is some uh, credits that are given for biodiesel use. All right, John Felmy, let's again talk about the Senate bill. Another provision has to do with what supporters call price gouging, some provisions they're intended to prevent that practice. Uh, talk about those provisions and what they involve and, and what they'd mean. Well, unfortunately, these provisions on price gouging that sound very good uh, really are nothing more than price controls that have been experimented in the past and failed. Uh, because of the way the legislation is written, it could quite possibly traumatize the industry if we have any type of a, of a market shock. Uh, it basically would potentially call into question whether or not you as a supplier would know what to do if you see prices rising, if you see short supplies, and whether or not you just simply risk jail time, civil and criminal penalties, or not supply the market for fear of running afoul of, of the law that is so vaguely written that you don't know what it is. Yeah, and all you're trying to do is try to respond to those market forces and get the fuel supplies to where it's needed. That's right. We learned uh, with the hurricane shocks of Katrina and Rita that you need to have markets function freely to be able to avoid uh, massive gas lines and shortages like we experienced in the 1970s. Uh, if you're a supplier and you're worried about uh, going to jail, just responding to market forces, uh, that could potentially traumatize the industry. I thought this was already regulated at the state level anyway. That's another very good point. Uh, most states have some type of uh, emergency legislation in place that the government governor can declare an emergency, and they'll impose price controls on all types of goods, whether it be gasoline or plywood. So it really is not needed. And further, it has never been demonstrated that uh, this is a widespread problem that uh, really needs to be addressed. Chris? Well, also, really, the way the federal legislation is drafted in the Senate version, which is included in their broader energy bill, and in the House version, which is in a completely separate bill that they passed earlier this year, is really a political and emotional response to a market condition. But at, at the at, at very basic level, it does nothing to address the underlying factors that are at play. It does nothing to address supply and does nothing to address demand. Yeah, and, you know, the overall philosophy, it seems, at least uh, the supporters give you behind all of these bills, is that these provisions will help increase our domestic energy security. Some people use the term independence. I think we know that's an awful tough thing to accomplish in this day of world trade and global energy supply. But let me ask each of you uh, whether that, uh, that those claims are, are correct. If these, these bills really would help cut our dependence on, on imports. Chris? No. What, what Congress really should be doing is looking to all viable domestic sources of energy, and the way both the House and Senate have put these bills together, they're clearly leaving vast domestic resources off the table. Yeah, and uh, Matt, how about from the from the uh, renewable fuels aspect, uh, something that uh, would be uh, necessarily good for consumers? As Chris mentioned, you know, in the, in the long term, we, we need all forms of energy supply and, and for a robust and growing economy. But I think in the short term, um, with these massive mandates um, that we're really concerned about the impact it's going to have on consumers. Both the food and the feed industries are already seeing an impact, as well as there's a lot of concern about the technology that must be developed and the huge hurdles that must be overcome in order to meet these new mandates and the numbers. And we certainly feel that the consumers are going to see that impact. 
Yeah, let me ask you, uh, Matt or, or John, whoever wants to answer this. Uh, one of the ideas behind this, the, this, these bills, of course, is you take the money raised by the taxes and use it to invest in research and alternative fuels. Sort of the uh, supposition being, the assumption being that there is no research going on right now, but that's not really the case. Well, the key thing that appears to have been forgotten in all of this is that if you look at investments in new emerging energy technologies, the oil industry is the major investor. Over the last uh, six years, you've seen the oil industry invest on the order of $100 billion in emerging energy, including alternatives. Uh, you know, really, when, when the focus of the bill says that they basically want to tax the industry, raise our costs, and then use the money for alternatives. Well, that was tried back in the 1980s with the windfall profits tax and was a colossal failure. Uh, the government took billions of dollars from the industry and largely poured it down the drain on alternatives that didn't work. The industry is doing its part in terms of new energy, and there's no reason to believe the government could do a better job. Now, the Senate is going to, and the House will be back in about three weeks. They're typically taking uh, August off, goes back to the days before there was air conditioning in Washington. Uh, but they'll be back in the fall. Uh, Chris, uh, tell us a little bit about the process here. What comes next? Uh, how will the, these di very different bills be resolved if, if they are? Well, it's, it's really unclear at this point. The Senate still has some procedural issues to get through before it can go to a formal conference uh, with the House uh, to settle these the differences between the two bills. And there really are uh, some big differences between the two uh, in terms of how they match the provisions up. And we'll probably have to go through a lot of horse trading to figure out what's going to survive any final bill. Uh, that assumes, of course, that the final bill is not written solely in the offices of the House and Senate leadership, uh, and, is, and they avoid a formal conference committee almost entirely. And some of these provisions have drawn the possibility of veto threats if they do make it to the president's desk. Certainly. Uh, certainly the price gouging provision has drawn a veto threat, as has another provision we haven't talked about today, uh, the so-called NOPEC provision that would allow the U.S. Attorney General to file antitrust lawsuits against the members of OPEC. John Felmy, I'm going to wrap up with you today. Uh, the central ideas we've been talking about, this possibility of new taxes on the industry, uh, price gouging legislation at the federal level, and expanding the renewable fuel supply perhaps beyond uh, what is supportable. Uh, it sounds good, but really not so good for consumers and for uh, domestic energy supplies. Well, unfortunately, because these provisions do nothing to increase supplies, reduce demand, or improve the infrastructure, they will likely do very little for consumers. In addition, they potentially take billions of dollars out of the oil companies that are, in fact, owned by retirees and other Americans. The provisions have been sold as being a no-cost uh, willingness to be able to take money from the oil industry without anyone being affected, when, in fact, uh, millions of Americans that own the companies, along with millions of consumers, will not benefit from these provisions. And we would encourage any consumer interested in these uh, pieces of legislation to contact their, their representative or senator, email them, call them, uh, drop them a line, let them know how you feel about this, ask any questions that you have. And speaking of that, we certainly encourage all our listeners to write into us, email us with your questions you'd like to see answered or discussed on future podcasts. My guests today, though, have been API Chief Economist John Filmy and two of API Senior Policy Analysts Matt Cook and Chris Joyner. Thank you all very much for your time. My Thank pleasure. you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.